WDBM East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later, MSU's crystal ball is nothing, if not cloudy. Paul Tunningly looks at the weather in East Lansing. And then the East Lansing Art Festival goes online. Our arts editor, Skylar Ashley, explores the future of arts festivals in general. But first, as we do weekly, here's my conversation with MSU political scientist Matt Grossman on the 2020 presidential campaign. Matt, uh, I'm seeing uh, headlines in the New York Times in the last week uh, that say uh, Biden is losing the Internet. Uh, Biden is a hundred and... $87 $87 million behind Trump. And now we've got Trump on television referring to, quotes, uh, Sleepy Joe as uh, hiding in his basement. Uh, what what uh, indeed is Joe Biden to do at this point? Or does he just um, sit on his hands as far as the public is concerned? Well, the, the fundraising is a, a potential concern for the Democrats. Um, the absence of Joe Biden from public debate is also a potential concern, but not one that he can do a whole lot uh, about. Um, I think if he was holding, you know, 15 virtual events a day, it probably wouldn't um, make much difference. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump's uh, approval rating has come back down and his um, ratings on dealing with the crisis are declining as well. So there, there is an argument for kind of getting out of the way and, and letting uh, Trump uh, fall on his own. Uh, so many times over the last three years, people have said uh, have been shocked at some development concerning Trump and said, well, surely this is the end. The man withstood uh, impeachment uh, do you think uh, he can uh, withstand this crisis uh, without further hurting himself? Well, he he has um, been been hurt by some of the scandals, just not as much as um, some people would think or would like. Um, even in the 2016 election, he did about uh, three percentage points uh, worse than Republicans in House elections. Uh, in the 2018 election, he suffered. Uh, a fairly uh, large uh, midterm uh, uh, defeat. Uh, and uh, so he, he has continued the pattern of uh, strong approval ratings uh, among Republicans, um, and that uh, carries over uh, from the same kind of patterns we saw under Obama. Um, so we're a polarized country where it's hard to convince the people who are not already convinced that, that Donald Trump is a, is a poor leader. But that doesn't mean that um, he hasn't lost enough ground uh, among uh, people who are convincible to lose the election. Um, one of the things, of course, Biden presumably is doing while he is uh, supposedly hiding in his basement is uh, searching for vice presidential candidate. I saw an interesting op-ed in the New York Times in the last few days uh, talking about uh, the evolution of the vice presidency, uh, going back uh, to um, Jimmy Carter uh, and his choice of Walter Mondale, and uh, actually using Mondale uh, for 
real things as opposed to, uh, say, how Kennedy <laughs> didn't use Lyndon Johnson, would send him off on foreign trips just to get him <laughs> out of Washington, I suppose. Uh, talk, uh, if you can, a bit about the transition of the presidency uh, uh, and and then we maybe we can talk about what what Biden should be looking for today. Well, the vice presidency is a, a very amorphous uh, position um, that can be deployed um, by by the president um, in almost any way. Um, there there may be an overall trend, but I also think there's just idiosyncrasies. Um, Dick Cheney was a, a, a particularly powerful vice president, especially in the foreign policy and. Uh, energy policy uh, domains. Um, Joe Biden uh, was a a fairly uh, active uh, vice president, especially in the legislative uh, arena uh, where he came from. Um, So it it sort of remains to be seen what, uh, how Biden would use a vice president uh, in uh, governance. But um, I think there's reason to believe that that person would be pretty active um, considering uh, Biden's age and uh, how much he uh, has relied on uh, others uh, during the campaign. Uh, we're talking uh, to Matt, uh, political scientist Matt Grossman from Michigan State University, as we do every week about uh, the 2020 uh, presidential campaign. You're listening to City Pulse here on the impact. Uh, let's talk a bit uh, uh, about Gretchen Whitmer because uh, there is no indication that she has fallen off of the serious consideration list for vice president. Uh, we see uh, the governor sticking to her guns uh, when it comes to uh, pr- uh, protesters uh, who want to see the state reopened uh, more quickly. Apparently, she appears to be headed for a fight with the legislature uh, over uh, extending her right to extend the emergency order. Um, One of the things that the op-ed I referred to talked about was uh, trying to have a vice president who actually uh, uh, has uh, uh, executive leadership experience. Gretchen Whitmer has uh, now is in her second year. Uh, does does she rank well in your mind as someone who could carry on as president if uh, something were to uh, if she were to get elected vice president and foisted into that position? Well, I mean, she has experience uh, comparable to some uh, previous uh, nominees, so um, it, it's certainly not out of the question. And she's still on the on the list. Um, I think we did we have gotten some additional data um, that suggests that she's not in as much trouble as it, as it might appear if uh, you were only looking at the the active protests. Um, you know, I think she's still doing 15 to 20 points better than than Trump um, overall, and then especially doing a lot better on handling. Uh, of the crisis. Um, and there's a lot of polling that shows that uh, the vast majority of, board, of voters are still in favor of these stay-at-home orders and are not itching uh, to open up faster um, and are more worried about, uh, if anything, opening too fast. And uh, does um, her taking on Trump as she has then, does that help her nationally or does anyone really care? Uh, 
Uh, I think that that is part of uh, why she's been in the conversation is because she's been in a direct conflict uh, with with Trump, and that is a historic uh, historical way to to get you to the the national attention, especially of your your fellow partisans when the opposite party president is unpopular. Um, so it's sort of a tried and true uh, strategy, or I'm not even sure if it's a strategy. She might have uh, stumbled into a, a fight with uh, Trump as he's very willing to to, to take on. Uh, enemies. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a normal uh, pattern. I'm not sure if it really reflects on um, on how well she would add to the ticket, though. Uh, does she risk uh, perhaps a backlash from Michigan voters? Obviously, one reason you pick someone for vice president is you hope that will deliver that uh, vice presidential candidate state to you. Uh, but uh, here we have a unique crisis uh, in Michigan, as well as everywhere. Uh, would people in Michigan say, wait a second, we elected you to be governor. The last thing we need is a change in executive leadership uh, at, at a time like this. Well, there, there are that always comes up when uh, someone is uh, announced for the vice presidency, uh, but there's often not as much backlash as there is just people are interested in a, in a native son or daughter um, making it on the national scale. So there's potential uh, benefits as well. I think in the long term, she's going to be judged by the results uh, rather than uh, the short-term uh, political calculation. So if if we get a second wave of cases and um, we have to shut things down again, um, or you know that there's a scandal around the uh, around the, the the original decisions or the the decisions to open up, um, that's going to matter a lot more uh, than you know the, the presidential discussions. Uh, finally, we discovered uh, last week a mutual affinity for a new. Uh series on uh, FX on Hulu uh, called Mrs. America. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you got a chance to catch up with the latest episode, uh, but what do you think? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, interesting history that we're able to review, and it's a, it's a fun watch as, as well. Um, and the the, the latest episode, you saw a lot about conflicts within uh, the feminist uh, movement, uh, which is uh, useful to see that not everyone was uh, was on the same uh, page. And obviously, we always have uh, a conflicts that are that uh, are both ideological and uh, personal um, that uh, that uh, make a difference. But uh, I learned some things from the from the latest episode. A lot of those. Uh, Debate points uh, that uh, were made came straight from the text of those uh, of those debates, so they were uh, they were good uh, a reminder of uh, just how charged uh, the debates over the the Equal Rights Amendment uh, were. Uh, one to... one, one other thing, if you, if you do if you do have time, uh, one other uh, thing that we we have learned some changes um, in the, the Democrats' coalition since the last week. Um, we're starting to get some new data that shows, obviously, you know, every for the most part, the same people who voted for Hillary Clinton are going to vote for Joe Biden and 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 vice versa. But uh, there do seem to be some changes. Joe Biden is um, uh, doing better among older voters, um, and you're seeing that also in polls in Florida where he's doing better than Hillary Clinton did. Um, he appears to be doing 
a little bit worse among younger voters, and then also uh, worse, at least so far, among minority voters. Uh, so some potential surprises that could shake up a little bit uh, where the battles are in the 2020 election. Let's pursue that a little bit. Uh, the shakeup among minority voters uh, uh, is problem there. Uh, that surprises me uh, because it was indeed South Carolina and the uh, uh, big turnout of black voters that uh, turned the tide for Biden. What, what's going on there? Biden is still doing uh, well among African-American voters, uh, although there is uh, an active outreach campaign by the Trump campaign to try to uh, improve his numbers. And, and people should remember that, you know, we're, we're talking about moving from five or seven percent to 10 or 12 percent. And that might mean, you know, the most conservative African-American uh, voters moving over. Um, and then Biden has a more serious problem among Latino voters, which matches uh, what was going on in the primary where he uh, was not doing as well as Sanders among those voters. Um, although it doesn't seem to be as many people saying they're supporting Trump as just being undecided. Uh, so some of it is carrying over from the primary, the age differential and the Latino voters, um, and some of it might be new this year. Political scientist Matt Grossman, thanks again for being on City Pulse, and talk to you next week. You're listening to City Pulse on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Uh, the COVID-19 outbreak forced Michigan State University to go entirely online for the upcoming semester this summer. For the fall, the university is playing it by ear. Reporter Cole Tunningly interviewed MSU student Izzy Smith and MSU spokesman Dan Olson to find out more about the unclear future of the university. Students at Michigan State University have another semester of Zoom classes, online quizzes, and PDF textbooks to look forward to. On April 2nd, the university announced that their summer semester would be taught entirely online. This announcement came only three weeks after the university was forced to transfer the spring semester's in-person courses to the web. As for the fall semester, Deputy Spokesperson Dan Olson said, We have not yet made a final determination, but we are planning for all scenarios. A continuation of distance learning, a combination of in-person and distance learning, or students returning to campus in the fall. The university has also had to adjust its budget to make up for losses caused by the coronavirus outbreak. In a letter to all faculty and staff, President Samuel Stanley declared, quote, All MSU executives will be taking a 2 to 7% temporary pay cut based on salary levels, anticipated to last through May or June, but possibly a full year. Stanley himself chose to take a 10% pay cut. In this letter, Stanley also announced that some MSU construction and remodeling projects would be postponed or delayed. In addition, MSU plans to reduce travel and other discretionary expenditures. Izzy Smith, 21, is a junior at MSU majoring in organic and sustainable horticulture. Unluckily for her, she was taking five classes this spring. That's a lot. She initially flailed when those five spring semester courses went online. Her grades took a hit, too. Smith said that she thrives off face-to-face -face interaction with her professors. Most of her courses take place in intimate classroom settings, not lecture halls. So it's been harder for her to focus in online classes and harder for her to connect to the material. I really 
really value the face-to-face interaction that I get with my professors, mm-hmm. especially being in work classes. Like, a lot of my classes are really small, so I get to know my teachers and my classmates, and you just don't get that. And I just, again, I find it harder to learn online than I do in person. So if I'm going to have to work harder, I don't feel like I should have to pay the same amount. Smith also acknowledged that MSU's decision to move online had a negative effect on professors, too. They had to reorganize their entire classes on the spot, which is already difficult, and then they also had to deal with stressed-out students, bad internet connections, and the simple awkwardness of teaching a class over a webcam for two hours straight. It's hard for professors, too, because my one professor has been complaining because his class is too big to really do, like, everybody shares, like, video, he's like, I feel like I'm talking to a wall, like, I can't see facial expressions, I can't read the room, I don't know if I'm going too fast or too slow, or if it's interesting to you guys, like, I have no idea. I don't like it. I'm like, yeah, I hate it. Especially when, like, they ask questions and nobody responds, and they just sit there and be like, uh... Like Smith was saying, people who use Zoom for small work meetings or to talk to their family can all see each other through video chat. But in lectures with over 200 students, this is simply impossible. There's just not enough room on a computer screen. Instead, professors are left to narrate over static PowerPoint slides. Students can't see them, and they can't see the students. If anyone has a question, they have to click a button to raise their hand or type in a chat room. Basically, it's not the ideal way to teach, and it's not the ideal way to learn either. But Smith feels a little bit more hopeful for the summer semester after finding her footing this spring. Yeah, I think it'll, I'll be more used to it, and also, it'll only be one class versus five classes, mm-hmm. so I won't have to spend all my time in front of the computer. Plus, if we get let out, uh, I'll at least be able to break it up and see people. By let out, Smith meant that she hopes that during the summer, some of the pressure to quarantine will go down, and people will be allowed to resume almost semi-normal lives again. Smith is also only taking one class next semester, which will be vastly easier to handle than five, and like she said, make it much easier for her to step away from the computer. So Smith isn't too worried about the summer. The fall semester, however, that's a different story. I really, I really need them to tell us if we're going to have in-person or online classes for the fall to try to figure out if I need to live in East Lansing or not. Yeah, that's been on your mind. Is it like torn between moving back home and like still renting a place in East Lansing or Lansing? Yeah, kind of. And like, I need to be up there this summer because I might get a job. And I'm supposed to with my friend in August, so it's like a lot of back and forth. And then, but if we're online, like. Why not just come back home? I have some friends that are moving to Detroit. It's Maddie and Mia. They're my bandmates, and I want to live with them. So, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That is a weird decision because there really hasn't. We don't really know what'll happen in the fall. No, and one of my professors said probably July at the latest. That's kind of far away. Yeah, and then you hear sometimes like we might not be out of this until fall of 2021 and I yeah you know what I wouldn't be surprised if we weren't but like I just need to know so Smith is faced with two choices she could remain in East Lansing just in case the fall semester resumes as normal and everyone's invited back to campus or 
she could move to Detroit with her bandmates Maddie and Mia from the lo-fi Lansing surf punk band Whoopsie Daisy. The latter option obviously sounded more appealing to Smith, but she's hesitating, because next fall semester is her last before graduating. It's extra important. I mean, I'm graduating in December, so I'm taking 13 credits no matter what. To help struggling, incoming, and ongoing students like Smith, President Stanley announced a tuition freeze on April 17th. Tuition rates did not increase from the 2018 to 2019 school year, nor did they increase during the 2019 to 2020 school year. Under the newly announced tuition freeze, these same rates will continue to apply to the 2020 to 2021 school year. This applies to all schools except the College of Law. When asked about enrollment for the fall semester, MSU spokesperson Dan Olson said, quote, MSU is not unique to the challenges several universities are facing in Michigan and across the nation. We also remain encouraged by the increase in domestic enrollment for the fall semester. We anticipate a decrease in international students' enrollment this fall as a result of travel restrictions and other challenges associated with COVID-19. However, we are encouraging and accommodating international students who want to start out online with us this summer and fall. They might not be able to be physically here, but they're welcome and encouraged to take classes in remote formats to start. Olson also noted that MSU is determined to make a rational and scientific decision about when to resume operations as normal. They're not going to take any chances until they're certain they're making the right choice. Olson said, quote, It is important to know that whatever decision we come to will be based on current data, what we know about the pandemic, and what is best for our students, faculty, and staff. Thanks, Cole. This is City Pulse on 89FM, The Impact, here at Michigan State University. I'm Burl Schwartz. Arts editor Skylar Ashley spoke with Heather Miano from the East Lansing Art Festival about the decision to take the festival online and the future of arts festivals in general. Why was the festival outright canceled instead of postponed? Because that was another conversation that obviously concert organizers, you know, just promoters in general, you know, the big debate between canceling and postponing. So why cancel the postpone? City leadership chose to cancel the East Lansing Art Festival as opposed to postpone it because after discussion we decided that um, we can't know when the end of the crisis is going to occur. Um, we can't know when the stay at home is going to end. And we felt that it was irresponsible of ourselves to um, have the East Lansing Art Festival be basically the first big event out of the gate if it did end in April. We thought that canceling it and being able to count on hopefully being able to host it as normal in May 2021 was the most responsible decision to make. We do have our virtual offerings that we've decided to do, though. I don't know if you've heard of those heard about that, but um, we're doing a virtual version of the festival on May 16th, so there's still some income for a few performers and the artists and some art offerings. How can people check that out? What's the URL? It'll be on, we'll do a full day of Facebook Live and Zoom on our Facebook page, um, East Lansing Art Festival. And what are some of the responses <laughs> you had gotten from artists that were slated to be a part of the festival? Were most of them understanding of the decision? The response of the canceling was obviously disappointment, but 
by then, people were kind of expecting it to be canceled also. So our artists, I've gotten some really good feedback from them. They are sad that they, we can't do the in-person event, but they're really excited for the online virtual offerings that we're going to have. They have been thanking us for even thinking further than just canceling and doing the virtual offerings. So it's been it's been very um, encouraging that the artists are are understanding and excited. Um, there's a lot of speculation that the coronavirus will forever change how large scale events and gatherings are organized. From your perspective, how do you think that might impact the future of East Lansing Art Festival? Are we going to see future festivals where everybody is masked and gloved, for example, just can you speculate on how that might change the East Lansing Art Festival in the future? I don't think that it's within my my expertise to be able to speculate at this point what that's going to look like to the future of the festival. I can say that we will definitely take heed of what um, our state and federal leadership is telling us, um, the CDC and the WHO. Um, we'll definitely be paying attention to that and following guidelines for the future of the festival. How do you think it's going to affect the ability for people to put events like this on? Do you think there's any going to be any irreversible damage from just waves of cancellation for basically all of 2020? I mean, do you think that could have any impact on you know this culture as a whole? Yeah, I think definitely event culture is going to be kind of um, nervous <laughs> moving forward about counting on any plans. But at some point, there will be, I hope, a an opportunity for events to be counted on and planned on again in the future. And like I said, we'll just have to take into account the new guidelines and make sure that we plan with those in mind. There's a lot of discussion about reopening the country, you know, specifically getting people back to work, opening up restaurants. Do you think we would truly be reopened if we were still missing out on, you know, the arts and entertainment? Regardless of how and when America reopens, as you say, um, we're still able to participate in the arts. Um, the East Lansing Art Festival is a good example of doing our virtual show. We're still going to have poetry readings. We're still going to have artist demonstrations and lectures about art and history. Um, we're still going to be able to purchase art and view it online. There's sculptures and murals outside that we can have tours of and be in our cars, stay within the, the social distancing guidelines. So I don't think that we'll ever go back to the normal as we've known it for the last many years, but the new normal will be one that definitely includes the art. Do you think people are adapting well, you know, having to experience everything online? I can't speak for every person, but I can say that um, I think it's really incredible that people are being innovative about the way that they share their art and view art. I think that it's just really cool to see all the different types of ways that people are even communicating with each other, not just sharing art, but sharing their lives with each other. Um, I know that my neighborhood has 
kind of come together and supported each other more than we ever have. So that's just everyday life and not not art. I'd like to invite your um, readers and listeners to participate in the Facebook Live event on May 16th. Uh, We're really excited about the offerings that we're going to have, and um, we'll have some some fun interaction with the community and with the artists and with festival organizers, too. And we're just excited to see where this takes us. Thanks, Skylar. And also thank you for uh, producing today's show. And that is the show for today. Please tune in again at uh, 88.9 FM next week for City Pulse on the Air here on The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Thanks for listening. And please stay safe. Smile now and then under that mask. 